Today in Musar, we're going to talk about truth. We're talking about truth in Musar as a character trait. So what I want to talk to you about right here is truth as a concept. In order to understand what it means to have a character trait of truth, you've got to know what truth is. I will give you a definition. Truth is that information which matches reality. And reality is that which is independent of what anyone thinks about it. Our society right now, obviously, is mired deep in fantasy and lies. For example, there's this opinion that you can take a steer and put lipstick on it and you'll get a cow. That's not true. The fact that everybody says that that's what happens is an indication of how badly off we are. Everybody claims to search for truth. So when politicians and salesmen and all those kinds of folks tell you that they're telling you the truth, it's important to them that you believe what they say is true, but it may or may not be. And similarly, everyone claims to possess truth. Lots and lots of folks will come to you and say, I know what the truth is. So, what I want to talk to you today is what truth really is and give you some indications on how to find it. Let's start with the Bible. Is the Bible true? Most of you would say yes, but there's some problems. Mike here read that everything was created in six days. Everything that we know from scientific observation indicates that we're about 14 and a half billion years old. So if that description in scripture is not true, the question you then have to ask is what point in the Bible does God start telling the truth? It's a serious question. And one of the things that's happened as the Bible has been attacked by secular science folks is there's lots of folks that have simply retreated into dogmatism. The Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. What they've determined is, all right, all of this evidence points against it, but I'm going to believe the Bible and anybody that doesn't, I'm just not going to mess with. I'm going to suggest to you that that's a foolish attitude. How many of you have heard of Gerald Schroeder? I've talked about him several times. He's a Jew. He's also a physicist. was on the faculty at MIT, and he's written a number of articles and books that you can get. Probably the most famous is Genesis and the Big Bang. What he did is he has reconciled the biblical account of six days with scientific observation. And he was talking to some group and some guy said, wait a minute, you've neglected this. So he corrected his math and in fact made it even better agree with the Bible. Now the thing about engineering, physics, any of the sciences is in order to describe something you need to know where you are. And what the Bible describes is it's on the surface of the sea. That's its reference point. Now Time is a tricky and slippery subject. Somebody once asked Einstein, what's time? And he says, 
the thing that the clock says, because nobody really understands time. Time is strange. And it's strange to talk about the rate of passage of time because time is the measure of the rate of passage of things, right? And this is observed by science, not even controversial anymore. The passage of time depends on two things. It depends on mass, material, and it also depends on velocity. So if you get near a massive object, time flows at a different rate than if you get far from a massive object. And what they've done is they've measured the flow of time on Earth and they have measured the flow of time in a satellite which is far away and they discover the clocks run at different rates. Similarly, they have taken very precise clocks and put them in jet aircraft and flown them around the Earth in different directions. So one is going with the rotation of the Earth, the other one is going against the rotation of the Earth, and the clocks at the end of the circuit are different. So time depends on where you stand, and it depends on how fast you're moving. So what we're trying to do is figure out this six-day business. And what Schroeder did by a application of freshman calculus from college, I used to be able to do that, couldn't do it off the top of my head right now, I probably could figure it out again. But what he said was, first off, time depends on matter. So time doesn't start running until matter is created. And furthermore, God, who is not part of this universe, in order for the universe to exist, there has to be something besides God. So what God does is makes a space for the universe to be created. God is speaking from his perspective for the first days. Because there's no people. There's only God. And what Schroeder figured out is time varies with mass and velocity. And we use the Big Bang as a metaphor here. Everything starts as information, God says. And what happens is matter in the universe is created and it starts to expand. The universe is still expanding as near as we can tell. So what happens is from God's point of view, it takes a day. From the expanding universe's point of view, time is slowing down drastically. So by the time you get to us, what looks like to God six days looks like to us 14 and a half billion years. There's no conflict. And as I say, it's a reasonably simple application of college freshman calculus. And if anybody wants a reference, I can get you the article and all of that stuff. So from my perspective, this argument that people have, is this a young earth or an old earth? You've all heard that argument. My dear number one son says, it's an old earth. And I say, no, it's six days. We're both right. He is standing here on the earth looking at it from the human perspective. I'm looking at the Bible, and this is from God's perspective. Remember I said, in any engineering or scientific problem, you've got to know where you stand. 
in order to measure anything. And sometime after the middle of the sixth day, when Adam is created, the perspective changes. And now everything is with respect to Adam as opposed to with respect to God. Up until that point, before Adam, it was all with respect to God. So there's really no conflict. So what is the Bible? And why do we think it's true? Now, Mike read a parable today. Was there an actual vineyard and was there an actual guy that went away and were there actual servants that killed his representatives? No. So is that not true? Well, yes, it is true because what Yeshua is talking about here is he is talking in a parable to tell something that is true but not literal. So the Bible uses every human rhetorical flourish. It uses hyperbole. It uses sarcasm. It uses stories. All that kind of stuff. And for people who don't want to believe the Bible, they can point to these things and say, it's not telling the truth. But you need to understand what the book is. First off, it's not an engineering manual. In fact, I had a colleague when I was doing engineering consulting. He and I were working down in uh, South Florida. And we were talking about this because I was a new believer at that point. Just gotten on fire for all of this. And he says, well, what I am is a frightened former Baptist. I grew up as a Baptist, grew up believing the Bible was true, and then I hit engineering school. And my professors started blowing holes in the stories of the Bible. And my rational side says, I can't believe this, but my upbringing says, whoa, it's true. So I'm a frightened former Baptist. So I got terrified as a child that if I didn't believe this stuff, I was going to hell. But then the rational side of me, when I hit college, this can't be true. So what we did is we sat down. And I took him through Genesis 1, and I explained to him how the sequence of creation matched what we understand from secular science. First thing that happened was light, matter. Second thing that happened was sea creatures. Next thing that happened is animal creatures. And oh, by the way, early on, the atmosphere is cloudy, which is to say it's not clear. So you get to the point where the great lights start showing up, the sun and the moon. It's not that the sun and the moon weren't there. It's you couldn't see them. Remember, the perspective here is the face of the sea. So the atmosphere didn't clear for a while. And I walked him through this whole sequence. And the thing that got him to see that it made sense is the idea that primitive people 6,000 years ago wouldn't have understood it that way and for them to write it down in the proper sequence like that must mean that they got it from somewhere else. Now, I'm not quite as convinced as he was that primitive people were so primitive, but that's okay. So what's the Bible? The Bible is not an engineering document. What it is, is a book that is designed to do several things. The first thing it's designed to do is talk to us and give us perspective. There's an old joke that my wife and I share from years ago. 
Your average chicken doesn't worry about existential things. You know, it doesn't go around the barnyard saying, why am I a chicken? What's it mean to be a chicken? What's the existential consequence of being a chicken? Chickens don't do that. People do. Ecclesiastes says that God put eternity into our hearts. These are questions we care about. So the first goal of the Bible is to give us background, perspective, the ability to understand who we are, why we're here, and what everything means. That's the first goal. And by the way, it's designed so that it makes sense to a shepherd, and it also makes sense to a physicist. It's brilliant. The next thing it does is it explains to us how to organize ourselves so that humans thrive. That's the whole purpose of the laws in the Torah. If you follow these, you will have a good society, or as good as humans ever get. Now, lots of things we can figure out. In other words, you can go anywhere in the world and steal a sheep, and they got a way of dealing with you. People can figure that kind of stuff out. So a lot of the stuff in the Bible is obvious in common sense, but some of it's not. And we have the case studies early in Genesis. You know, you got the case study with Rachel and Leah and all of the conflict that that family has. And then later on, what God says is, oh, by the way, don't marry sisters. So you can go back and you look at Rachel and Leah and you can see why you don't marry sisters. And then God codifies it in the Torah. So what it is, is designed to promote human thriving. What happens to us, and Israel is again a couple thousand years worth of case studies, is we go off the rails. We're talking in Ezekiel on Tuesday night. And one of the things that's going on in Ezekiel is Ezekiel is talking to the exiles in Babylon. Jeremiah is talking to Jerusalem, their contemporaries. What Ezekiel is doing is explaining to the people in exile, A, why they're in exile, and B, what's about to happen to Jerusalem. And one of the things that becomes obvious is the people in exile in Babylon that Ezekiel is talking to do not understand why they're there and do not think God has treated them fairly. It becomes very obvious. These are people who believe in God. These are people who were following the Torah, quote, unquote. Yet they're in Babylon, and they really don't comprehend it. So the purpose of a prophet is when we think we're following God's law, when we think we're doing everything right, but we're not, God will send a prophet and say, no. You think you got this right, but you don't. And you need to repent, and you need to get this straightened out. Of course, we never do repent, but that's the whole purpose of a prophet. Because we can take the Bible, and we can think that we're living according to the Bible, and we can be way off base. And God love them. You can look at the churches in the United States right now, or the churches in Europe. And you can look at them and they have no more power. They have no more authority. They are simply social clubs where people go to get nice little sermons about 
How do you do forgiveness? And how do you keep from being stressed? And those kinds of things. But they're no longer powers in their society. And the reason for that is they think that they are following God's word, but just like the exiles in Babylon, God doesn't agree. So what God does is he sends us prophets periodically and jerks us back up and says, these things that you are doing is not right. Now, we haven't had a prophet in 2,000 years. And my particular take on that, which I got from Ron Dart, I like it very much, is uh, you aren't doing anything that they didn't do. I sent a prophet to them, told them what the problem is, go read it and apply it to your own society. I don't need to send you another prophet to tell you yet again that failing to establish justice, having a corrupt uh, political system, having corrupt courts is displeasing to me. I've done it over and over and over again to Israel and we wrote it down. Go read it. So, the Bible is true both literally and figuratively. It uses every human rhetorical thing, sarcasm, hyperbole, all that kind of stuff, but the whole point is, it is true with respect to how do you live your life and how do you organize your society and where are we and what's happening? What's our purpose? That's what it's designed to do and in those instances it is true. Now one of the things that societies do and ours is doing it big time right now is societies build up their own agreed upon lies. So we all get together not literally but metaphorically and we decide these lies we're going to believe and when those lies don't match up with scripture what eventually happens is your society goes badly off the rails and everything comes apart that's where we are today I've been talking about that for a while the particular set of lies that we have bought in this country and in the west are two One is what's called autonomy. Now, one of the things that the Bible teaches over and over and over again is freedom and responsibility. And those go hand in hand. If you have no responsibility, you can't be free. And if you are free and have no responsibility, then you're in real big trouble. So it teaches freedom and responsibility, and that's what the vignette in the garden is about. God puts them in the garden provides them with the ability to make a choice, and then holds them responsible for the consequences of their choice. If you don't have the freedom to make a mistake, you're a slave. God doesn't want slaves. You make that very clear. Similarly, if you are able to dodge the consequences of your mistakes, then you never learn. So what God has done is set up a world that is moral by design and has put us in there and allowed us freedom but has also said there are going to be consequences if you go off the rails and that's what the case studies in the Bible are about where Israel abuses their freedom goes off the rails and God has to reach out and jerk them up short send them into exile the other thing about 
the choice in the garden is it's the knowledge of good and evil, the tree. And the lure for Eve is she wants to be able to make her own laws. God has given her a law. Don't eat the tree. You'll become mortal. Very straightforward. Very easy. Very easy to understand. I mean, she messes it up a little bit. She says you're not supposed to touch it either. And in fact, in the rabbinic literature, it says one of the things a snake does is bumps her. So she comes up against the tree and the snake says, see, you didn't die. Now, well, if that didn't kill you, then what makes you think eating would kill you? That's rabbinic. That's not in Scripture. But the point is, she wants to be able to make her own laws. Just like today, we want to be able to make our own reality. You know, and as I say, the, the transgender madness that is flowing through the country right now is exactly that phenomenon. We want to make our own reality. Remember I said truth is that which matches reality and reality is that which doesn't change no matter what you think about it. Another lie that we have is in one of our founding documents. All men are created equal. No, they're not. What that was intended to be was nobility by birth was not valid because they were coming out of an aristocratic system, the crown, where you had people who had a position simply by being born into it. So the idea then that all men are created equal was intended to say we are not going to have an inherited nobility. That was the purpose of the exercise. What we have now is, well, if I believe it, it's true, and you've got to respect it. Isn't that what it's come down to? And so what you have is the thing that's an obvious lie, which is all men are created. No, we're not. I mean, some of us are tall, some of us are short, some of us are bright, some of us are stupid, some of us can sing, and some of us can't. We're not equal. Cows are equal. Bugs are equal. We're not. But what we've done is we've taken something and we've run off the rails with it. And that's what we do over and over and over again is we keep running off the rails because we want to be our own law. We want reality to conform to us instead of the other way around. Perfectly human. We all do it. And what scripture is designed to do is to bring you back to truth so that you can adjust your course. The Bible is true. It is a source of truth, which is why it is under such vicious attack. Because people don't want it to be true. So they attack the six days of creation. And then what goes through your mind is, well, if that's not true, what is true? And you then start discounting, well, hmm, I guess then it's okay to eat bacon because he calls bacon an abomination here and he calls this over here an abomination. We do both, you know, it, all of this is designed to discredit the scriptures so that they will not be for you a reliable guide to living. Because if you have doubts about them, you can't lean on them. Is this going to be a broken staff that's going to pierce my hand, or is this really true?
So, what I hope I have done is given you a grounding here in what truth is and how to discern it. It's all been written down for us. You can go back and read the prophets, and I recommend you do, and you can find every pathology that the United States has right now talked about in the prophets. Now, it's an old-timey Bible speak, so you sometimes have to do a little translation to figure it out, but it's all there. And if God was grumpy with them to the sum out of the nation, what makes you think that his standards have changed with respect to us? They haven't. What I will suggest that you do is, first off, settle in your heart whether or not you believe the book. And then if you do settle in your heart that you do believe it, then A, live it, and B, speak about it. Speak about it with confidence. Speak about it without apology. Speak about it as if this is a reliable guide to how to straighten out your screwed up life to your people who have screwed up lives. And we all know some. You know people that have messed up lives. Talk to them about scripture and do it without apology. And as you get these, well, what about the six days of creation? Or what about, or what about? Be confident that these are non-arguments. This is smokescreen. To get these people to avoid confronting the problems they have. I'm messed up over here. Scripture says I'm messed up. Well, you know, you can't trust that. That enables them to avoid looking at themselves. Et ta